Welcome to Freightonomics, uh, the show that combines freight markets with the macroeconomic environment. I'm the head of freight market intelligence here at Freightwave, Zach Strickland, and with me as always, Chief Economist Anthony Smith. And on today's show, we're going to talk about what's coming up. Now, we're going to kind of review the first half of the year, but we're going to make some takeaways uh, about what to th- how to apply that moving into the third and fourth quarter uh, of this year with supply chain management, transportation environment, macroeconomic figures, uh, things of that nature. So without further ado, if you see my co-host here uh, looking down, it's because he's being a jerk and he's not interested anymore, right? (laughs) I don't want to be here. No, (laughs) I am looking down because I'm going to be watching LinkedIn. So if you want to jump in on the conversation, say hello to Zach, ask him a question that's questionable, get him canceled, whatever you want to do. Jump in here if you happen to be watching at 12 Eastern Standard Time on this Thursday afternoon. It's technically afternoon, right? So yeah, I'll be monitoring LinkedIn if you want to jump in. Have any thoughts around what the second half of 2022 is going to look like? We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a wild ride uh, over the course of the last uh, uh, six months. A lot has changed, uh, especially in the freight market side of things, uh, and strangely, a little bit of controversy along those <laughs> lines. But uh, we're here to kind of speak uh, from a purely objective place, at least on what we know. We're going to make a little bit of speculation about what to look for here in the future because, as we've all found out, predicting the future has become uh, almost a fool's errand, (laughs) if you will, due to all the uh, chaos that's going on in the world right now. So I'm going to lead off with with things here, Anthony, and I'm going to kind of pose to you this little blurb that I found in the Wall Street Journal uh, earlier this week that basically said, uh, Larry Summers nailed inflation. You know, the economist uh, that basically said the stimulus package that Biden sent out last year uh, was too much. And it was running, you know, like 13 to 15 billion dollars in excess of what the economy actually needed to stay upright. And uh, basically now we're paying the, the piper. <laughs> Inflation is what it is because the stimulus package did more than it, w- it than was necessary. And now they're taking corrective actions with you know, debatable over whether or not it's the right (laughs) move or not uh, to increase interest rates, but it's basically the only tools they really have available. Uh, But basically he's saying we're headed towards a recession. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, and and when you think about what the Fed, their goal is um, on really on principle, they don't care about the markets. They would just want to keep the economy growing at Mm -hmm. any means. If there's a recession, then so be it. But you have to take it at face value. And this is one of the things we're always talking about when you hear you know, a statement by Jerome Powell or you hear a statement by someone on a quarterly call on a publicly uh, traded company. You have to kind of read uh, between the lines as to what they're talking about, what their goals are. And we're looking at the, the inflationary pressures that's being hit right now, of course, throughout all that monetary fiscal policy, the quantitative easing, the, the, the stimulus packages, all that other stuff played a huge part, but now we're starting to see, like you said, the backside of it. And so when we see that corrective action, it has to essentially match what we're looking at as what the injury was that kind of incurred upon the economy. And we're looking at that overwhelming amount of uh, stimulus that got sent out. We're not doing an overwhelming amount of interest rates increases. Yeah. We're taking a, a nice slow route, even though we see um, 75 um, basis points uh, mm-hmm. increase. 
that's not really going to be, I don't think, an exaggerated, you know, attempt. And okay, we're really being serious and tough on inflation when we're seeing that inflation's up over, you know, eight percent year over year, over nine percent year over year. So when you look at the balancing act right now, it's definitely going to be a tricky one for sure to kind of navigate. Yeah. But really, does the medicine really kind of um, match the ailment right now? And I don't think it's really matching. And the other big thing is that it's a little bit late to the party. Yeah, late to the party, and it's also slow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you're talking about interest rates, these are things that inf- impact larger expenditures, things that you're going to, you know, basically finance, uh, you don't have enough cash for right now. So it's stuff that you're talking about making long-term decisions on. It's not a near-term uh, correction. Right. Right. I mean, so, uh, yeah, I, I agree with all of that for sure. So let's uh, before we get into the meat of the discussion today about the first half and second half, let's let's cover a couple of topics. Uh, the first one I have here is that uh, German 3PL DB Schenker buying USA truck for four hundred thirty five million. Uh, surprising maneuver here. Not. But if you if you dig into the details, I think it makes a ton of sense. Now, USA truck, of course. Uh, had its struggles, but they bought it at a premium uh, over what their uh, market value was. Uh, and I want to say it was, bet- but it was still between about eight and nine X. Uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> Look at the article itself uh, here on FreightWaves.com uh, or, or wherever else. But it's, uh, you know, they bought it at a premium as the market and the cycle has basically been turning. And of course, if you look at DB Schenker's model, they're a global logistics provider. And I think if you look at their quiver of available resources in terms of providing a pure door-to-door environment, this isn't the worst. USA Truck, kind of, it's not your traditional large carrier in the, in the way that, you know, historically speaking, they've been a lot of spot market, so a lot of transactional market. Well, for DB Schenker's model, this actually fits really well uh, because what they're trying to do is provide a full supply chain solution and flexibility within that supply chain, which I think is the exact thing that most people, uh, you know, shippers are looking for at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, they essentially were, well, first off, it's kind of funny that USA Truck is going to be owned by a German company. But <laughs> you look at being able to purchase and Save buy the themselves into, <laughs> into a market, into a segment. So now they have this this presence here that they didn't have before. They're able to really integrate themselves into the U.S. a lot more quicker, a lot more efficient, mm-hmm. the German way, I'm sure. And then they also get access to um, some equipment as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think that's the point, is they're largely kind of a, an out source provider for a lot of these companies, but the global supply chain, you want to have a door-to-door environment that you have visibility and control over, and this, I think, is is, is actually a decent move, although I do think they might have paid a little bit more for it, but again, these negotiations, or they they probably spent a little bit more than I might have, but hindsight's 20-20. These negotiations start way back (laughs) uh, during the pandemic era uh, in full force, so I don't know that I necessarily fault them there. Uh, and then this is probably the headline of the day. AB, uh, AB5 basically shut down by SCOTUS. Yeah. Uh, Supreme Court really active <laughs> here busy over lately. the last couple of months. The most activity I think we've seen out of this group uh, in a while, uh, and I'm going to stay away from the political sentiment there, but the uh, basically the California Trucking Association losing uh, out here, basically saying that... If you are an independent contractor, owner-operator, 
you kind of fail the B prong of the ABC test of this AB5 situation. So it's you, your specific offering has to differ fundamentally from the job of you know, the company itself. So what this means is if you're hiring outside labor, it's got to differ tremendously from your main you know, use. So all these larger carriers hiring owner operators, they have to cover them with benefits and consider them full-time employees. Uh, otherwise they can't provide the service. Right. And this just deteriorates capacity uh, further out of California. Um, now when we look at this scenario, who is someone that would benefit or wanted this to happen? Uh, you know, maybe larger carriers. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know that it. I don't think that it benefits shippers at all. Right. Uh, if I'm a Walmart or Target, I do not want this <laughs> because it limits capacity and it's going to put an inflationary pressure on their transportation spend. So to me, it's a weird scenario where I'm not sure. And again, read the article, make your own opinion. John Kingston does a fantastic job covering this AB5, as I'm sure we'll hear more about it uh, in the coming months. But it was supposed to be delayed. Uh, You know, I think we all read about that. But now it looks like that's going to unravel quickly, further deteriorating capacity and the nation's largest economy Mm -hmm. uh, out of California. So it's interesting to see this, uh, the timing of this, but for sure. Now, the last story I want to hit before we dive in, uh, Greg Miller uh, talking about how charter prices are up uh, on the container uh, boat rental. So normally, in a normal environment, you see uh, these charter boats for container ships. They're normally smaller than your larger ships, you know, four, five, six thousand TUs, uh, scaling all the way up to about fifteen thousand. But normally, the, the lease prices of these they kind of cover the overflow for these container shippers. Um, they're staying elevated. Now they've come off a peak a little bit, but it looks like they're actually kind of ticking back up. And the point of this article is that prices typically move with when demand exceeds supply. Economy 101. (laughs) Uh, My question here is what are these prices really measuring? Now we've looked at a lot of data saying that import volumes are coming down or orders, I should say, are coming down. Imports are still relatively high because Mm -hmm. there's a ton of backlog there. Uh, but the quantity of TUs that are being ordered has shifted down significantly over the last probably month yeah. now uh, since Henry wrote his article. So I, I, I think you need to do a little bit more digging here. I don't necessarily dispute. I mean, prices are moving in the direction they're moving. There's no dispute about that. But the reason for those prices moving is the thing that I would want to dig into a little bit more because we're still down in volume, but we're not necessarily all the way back down. Yeah. To where we were in 2019, for instance. So I, there's still a little bit of uh, debate on whether or not where that capacity line is being drawn. Are these larger carriers not offering as much capacity on these larger vessels? Are they kind of utilizing this flexible lease model a little bit more? And obviously, the inflationary, uh, the underlying inflationary pressure supporting these prices being at this level is another thing. Because fuel costs, I don't know if you've seen, they're not, they haven't really gone down that much. Not a lot. And we have Niwar Singh here and the comments on LinkedIn saying, hey, what are your predictions on diesel price? Is it ever going to come down? <laughs> and I think eventually. If, but if, <laughs> Yes. Yes, it will. Uh, I think knowing when that's yeah. going to happen is the big 
big thing. And if I could predict that, uh, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. <laughs> I would have my own personal island uh, as I've won the lottery. <laughs> but it's, I think uh, a lot of comic consensus is that it's still going to remain generally elevated throughout the As long the as the conflict of... is going on in Ukraine, mm -hmm. uh, Russian sanctions are occurring. We've lost too much production. Uh, speculation, of course, driving a lot of that. Read John Kingston's articles. Follow him. He's got a great podcast slash show, Drilling Deep. Uh, we've got a whole section on FreightWaves.com if you want to read more and educate yourself. I personally love it. Uh, John Kingston does a fantastic job. Uh, but no, that the bottom line is nobody knows. Yeah. Uh, there could be some other variable that comes into play here in the next months that's going to change that dramatically. But yeah, for the time being, I think you can expect diesel and gas prices to, to stay up. elevated. So let's get into the meat of today's discussion. We've only got 13 minutes left. <laughs> so, uh, I want to I start off with what we have seen and what we know, because I love staying in the what we know. If you don't understand the present, you cannot manage the future, in my opinion. Um, so if you don't understand where we've been, uh, it's going to be even more difficult to talk about where we've gone. So the first chart I want to bring up here is the OTVI uh, that talks about basically the quick and dirty way of saying truckload volumes or truckload demand has dropped in terms of domestic transportation. You see the green line there is last year. The blue line is this year. It has dropped. There's no debate about that year over year. The shippers are tendering less. Now, the debate is how much of this has come out of the overall market because this counts rejected tenders as well as the accepted tenders. So let's move on in uh, to the spot market or the NTI here for the next one, which is basically the way that I say a lot of uh, the value has dropped out of the spot market, uh, not necessarily out of uh, the contract side just yet. So spot market rates in the NTI uh, measures that based on our trusted rate assessment consortium contributors, everything is over 250 miles length of haul and represents about 10 to $15 billion of annual spend. Uh, you can see that rates there have declined. They're not all the way back to where they were in 2019. Nobody expects that to happen just yet. But again, these are all inclusive rates. So they're propped up by fuel. <laughs> uh, and fuel costs are included in this. So if you remove the fuel from this number here, you would get a much different, uh, much more significant decline in spot rates. And this is why the, uh, my theory on all that volume has come out of the spot market. Okay. Because now, if you read my last chart of the week, the spread between contract and spot significantly more. Uh, so basically, spot market is offering deep discount to the contracted space, especially when you include fuel. Uh, and that really favors those contract-heavy carriers, the larger carrier environment. My next statement about the trucking current market, what we've seen, what we're looking at right now, uh, the contract market being relatively unscathed uh, with the van contract. Yeah, let's go ahead and pull that one up. That's the right one. Uh, this is the van contract rates. Uh, they're relatively, they're up and they're flatlining. Uh, that orange line is last year's contract rates. They're high. They're yeah. not coming down just yet. Shippers are not negotiating lower just yet. They have actually kind of flatlined, but their rates have increased dramatically year over year. Uh, according to this, about 20% or so uh, from this chart. So the next and last chart to kind of prove out this theory <laughs> or thesis, uh, if you will, uh, the CLAV. 
This is going to be our contract load accepted volume index. So last year is in green. So this only accounts the accepted load volumes, the accepted tenders. The last year, or this year is in blue. And if you do the math there, it's roughly a 1% to 2% decline year over year. If you looked at those contract rates that I just showed you, they're, they're operating 20% higher. So a 2% drop in volume isn't going to necessarily be that much. I mean, it's not going to be felt that much more uh, on the contracted carrier side because they, they've got the revenue to cover up any kind of 1% to 2% decline in volume at this point in time. So contract market, relatively unscathed. Spot market, feeling the pressure uh, deeply right now in the trucking market. And I'm going to stop there because I want us to go into the what we know about the economy yeah. right now before we start predicting the future. So For sure. <laughs> so on the economic side, um, of course, you can break things into upstream and downstream. Of course, I like to look at something like manufacturing for upstream, manufacturing including industrial production and non-defense capital goods, new orders. They kind of go hand in hand when you look at what's being produced. And I, we have a chart up for this one um, for non-defense capital goods and manufacturing um, put together. So when you look at this, this, this chart, it shows that there's still ongoing momentum right now upstream at the manufacturer's level. So we're still seeing that orders are coming through. And that's somewhat telling because we're seeing, of course, interest rates going up. Typically, um, you know, you want to make those capital expenditures when money is cheaper. So you will see essentially a pull forward. But right now, despite, you know, interest rates being where they are right now, we're still seeing that there is still ongoing purchases being had. But it should be noted that these purchases and these new orders are going to be a little bit lagged. So the latest data that we have out from this Federal Reserve data set is going to be as of um, May. So this isn't going to be the most timely data. Of course, we get a little bit more timely, a lot more time, I should say, with our own flatbed outbound tender rejection index. And so what we're seeing right now in the FOTRI, um, because this is going to be something that ties in, of course, manufacturing, upstream stuff, but also construction, we're seeing some downward movement, some easing from where it was standing um, just over the last few months, really, you're starting to see some of that um, uh, retreat here. So that's not to say that it's down to uh, refer and drive-in levels just yet, but we are still seeing that it is easing somewhat. And so what we have here on this chart, in the green line, we have housing starts. And so interesting thing about housing and construction, we saw that there was a, what we were talking about at the beginning of the year, Zach, was expect a pull forward because a lot of people are going to be expecting increase in interest rates. Mortgage rates going to go up. So a lot of folks are going to try to pull forward their home purchases, and that's exactly what they're doing, and that's what they did. That pull forward is likely over here. We're seeing permits have dropped. Inventory levels are starting to go up. Homes not yet started, still very much elevated on a year-over-year basis. Homes still under construction, um, still elevated on a year-over-year basis. We're starting to see a shift in homes completed, so builders are starting to catch up to where they need to be. Still some ways to go, but because it starts coming down, that means that there's going to be a little bit more easing for flatbed trailers as there's not going to be as many uh, as much urgency to kind of keep moving forward with hauling some of those lumber products throughout the country. Still a lot of backlog to work through, but that's going to be easing in a sense when we look at flatbed capacity overall. Upstream, definitely a lot of uh, activity still going on with manufacturing, but I think that's going to be one of those areas where you look at overall macroeconomics. A lot of individuals, a lot of companies are going to keep operating at an elevated rate until the writing's on the wall. And this is going to be the case where we look at job openings, where we look at initial um, unemployment claims. 
uh, initial jobs claims, I should say, um, a lot of folks are going to keep trying to hire until they just can't hire anymore, and now they have to do a substantial layoff. And so I think this is going to be a potential case with a lot of individuals ordering capital good expenditures. A lot of folks are going to have a lot of cash throughout the pandemic. Maybe they are sitting on a lot of funds. They want to be able to use some of that um, while they can. But I think we're looking at where some of that utilization is going to be going to. Of course, automation, upstream, warehousing, things like that. A lot of people um, got, you know, caught in a bad situation where they weren't able to really manufacture at a high level because people were calling out sick. Robots don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of auto, auto um, I think, automation is going to be entering the warehouse space, manufacturing space at a rapid clip here um, just to kind of curtail some of those instances where some people have to call out and you know not be available to work. Last big thing I, I want to hit on here, credit card utilization came back in a meaningful and significant way, unfortunately, <laughs> over this last six months here. And we can see this in this chart. Uh, that is a, a U-shaped recovery that we did not want to see in any way, shape, or form. Um, but we are seeing it. And so this is going to be on a seasonally adjusted basis. Um, non-revolving credit utilization also extremely elevated because we didn't see too long of a uh, slowdown for folks getting into new homes and, the and rate cars. Right there, the rate of recovery on yeah. this chart is what's what's telling here. <laughs> yeah, and the thing that's missing from it is that grayish market area of buy now, pay later, yeah. which I think is going to be really a huge hindrance to a lot of folks as we get into the latter half of 2022 into 2023. Especially if there's a huge fall off in employment, people start getting laid off. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to have to be accountable for these uh, credit card utilizations that they've been using and again, those buy now, pay later programs that they've been taking advantage of. I've seen Apple get into this with yeah. their phones and things like that a lot more individuals are going to be, I think, caught in a bad situation if they're suddenly shocked with some type of employment shift. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> Didn't think about the credit card bill coming due, uh, but uh, and that's going to erode that money supply a little bit more. So let's move into what we can speculate about uh, moving forward in the uh, truckload sector. So I think you're going to see continued demand side easing, uh, but I'm not as bearish on this as I think I was a few months ago. Uh, Some of the reasons for that is the fact that I think a lot of the orders that we're seeing, especially on the macroeconomic side, they're still maintaining. So I think this tail may have a little bit more flat a little bit flatter. It's not necessarily going to be a trough that just everything falls off the the face of the earth. We still got a lot of bottlenecks to overcome. And the inventories, whereas they're high, we're reading more and more about the wrong inventories. Mm. You know, we ju- we keep hearing about these sh- uh, companies not having the right inventory. I think that's going to lead to increased expedited and increased LTL. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they're not going to have the space to order in bulk, but they're going to have to consistently like subsidize their inventory level with the right stuff while they're trying to correct the old stuff that they may not need anymore. And I think that is going to support the trucking market. A little bit more so, and it's not going to just fall off a cliff like a 2018 did, mm. uh, where we saw everything just fall apart right away. This and everything upstream looks like it has some momentum left in it. The housing stuff you just talked about, uh, the orders uh, are still yeah, coming. The capex slower growth, but growth nonetheless. Yeah, I think we're still do. I think we're still, and you saw the floor in the OTVI. We're still okay, and the contract rates, you know, time will tell. And and then that's the second part of this. Uh, contract rates, I think we can expect those to start to ease uh, this this third, fourth quarter. I think p- carriers are going to bid a little bit more aggressively. Uh, 
And I think we're still seeing some additional capacity because that tends to lag the market turn. Yeah. You know, everything we look at on a day over day basis, we know right away things have changed significantly. These guys don't have that visibility for the most part. Um, and then, of course, those are long term decisions they've made to buy their own vehicles and get into those trucks. So uh, the last part of this. Uh, you know, we talk about demand easing, but maybe not as quickly as I originally thought, uh, is this IOTI I want to pull up. And this is the support for that kind of shippers ordering more, or I guess a same amount of frequency with less volume. IOTI, IOSI, you've seen this on this show before. IOSI measures shipments ordered from across the ocean, hasn't dropped that much. IOTI, the volume in those shipments has dropped significantly. So smaller shipments, same amount of frequency, shorter lead times, expedited freight. They're just shipping. They're just, it's like a machine gun instead of a shotgun that they now are doing. So, I mean, when we're looking at this, Zach, what are going to be some, if you had to make just a hot take in any part of the supply chain, what's going to be one that you're going to make for the remainder or the second half of 2022? I think we're going into a recession, but I don't think that it's as bad as that word may sound. Uh, I think we were inevitably going into a recession for freight, and we cannot maintain a 50% higher uh, truckload demand space, nor can we maintain anything above about a 5% GDP growth number uh, indefinitely. So coming down and contracting a little bit doesn't scare me that much. Gotcha. And I think the big part about it as well is going to be the length of a recession. Because if we see a long, drawn-out recession, that can really start to get a little bit ugly. Just like conflict, international conflict, the longer a conflict kind of weighs on, the bigger the the downfall. Two quarters? Ah, That's fine. We were were bound to have that anyway. So thank you for watching uh, and tuning in. Be sure to click subscribe and like or dislike on YouTube if you can even do that. If that's the thing, drink more water. Call your mom. Happy birthday. Shout out to people that have been commenting. B. Scott, Joe Montez, Lindy Love.